Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, as David mentioned, uh, as he was setting up our morning, uh, we are pressing pause on the Hebrew series. We will be back in Hebrews chapter 8 on January 15th, as we'll kind of pick up going verse by verse through the book of Hebrews. But we want to do that in order that we can spend time preparing our hearts for the Christmas Advent season that is upon us. Uh, traditionally, uh, for the Christian church and for the believer, Advent is this really rich time where we get to kind of do two things, both centered around celebrating. The first thing uh, for the Christian during this time is, is this idea of celebrating or remembering Christ's first coming. We reflect on Christ coming, taking on flesh and entering into his creation, becoming like us in that manner. And we celebrate and we look back and we reflect on it. And then it's also the second thing about Advent is it's also an anticipation of Christ's second coming. And in the middle is us waiting. We, we look back and we look ahead as we are entering in, as we are in a larger story that is bigger than just where you and I are today. And so we're calling this series Rest in the Story, our four-week build-up to Christmas Eve uh, as we engage into this Advent. Now, Advent is this Christmas season, as you and I are probably familiar with, this has a way of kind of blowing right by us really quickly. And there's danger when the believer especially, but any one of us miss out on the truths of the season. And so part of our goal for this series is to kind of slow down and begin to prepare our hearts for this series. Everything, right? Parties, schedules, shopping, traditions, all of those things start to pick up tempo during this time. And it, it kind of starts to carve out real estate in our heart that's ultimately meant for Christ, we start to kind of, if we're not careful, push those truths to the margin and fill them with things that aren't inherently bad, but what it pushes to the fringes of our heart is not good, and there's great danger in that. I've learned that the hard way. In a former lifetime, I used to be an accountant for a small company that created videos for churches. And uh, one of the, just kind of the truths of that company is if we're creating videos for churches, this time of year was really important for us sales-wise. And so this was a time of season where we would make videos for Jesus, we would make videos about Jesus, but if we weren't careful, individually or maybe even as a company collectively, we wouldn't necessarily be with Jesus during that. And there's danger if we're not with him during it. I remember one year in particular, we created uh, a viral video sensation. This was the early days of YouTube. So, you know, kind of, kind of put yourself back in that world of the early days of YouTube, the early days of Twitter. And we had a video called Social Network Christmas that caught fire. It even went beyond the, the church community. And we were trending on YouTube. We were trending on Twitter. I mean, this was like the pinnacle for our company, all this attention on us. And one morning we showed up and there was all these social media mentions. Hey guys, did you see that Conan O'Brien mentioned you in his monologue last night? And we were like, 
Conan O'Brien, yes, this was back when he had a talk show. And, uh, and it was like, oh my gosh, we've been mentioned by Conan O'Brien. This is fantastic. And we were like tracking every single social media account. I was the back office accountant hitting refresh on the sales data, sending emails out every 10 minutes going, hey, we sold this many now. Here, here's where we're at. And then it was just this fantastic time in our company. And then 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve, it like all stopped the social media mentions, the sales. And all of a sudden it was like this hollow moment for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've done things for Jesus. It's been about him in a way. And yet I've missed out on his heart for me this season because I haven't been with him. And so that's one of the goals for our series is that we want us to not miss out on, as the Hebrews author talked about, on not missing out on drawing near to him. Because every time we don't take advantage of this season, we drift and our hearts begin to grow colder and more and more numb to this incredible truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And if we grow numb to it this year, it becomes that much easier to grow numb to it next year and so forth and so on. And so there is really great danger. And so that's why one of the things we wanna just stop and remind ourselves that God just doesn't want us to do things for him. He doesn't want us to just do things about him this Christmas. He simply wants us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he wants to be with us, and he wants us to be with him And so as we build towards celebrating the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve, we're going to go back and remind ourselves of the entire story. And it is a grand one. And it is a true one. And it's a story that we find in this book. And it's often told in four parts. It's the meta-narrative of Scripture sometimes it's referred to. And the four movements are creation, fall, redemption, and then culmination. And one of the things, one of the reasons why we don't want to miss the truth of Christmas is because the truths of Emmanuel, God with us, this is a truth that is on display. These are truths that are on display all throughout your Bible, all throughout the four movements. God has always been revealing a heart of wanting to be with his people back in creation, even in our fall, for sure in our redemption, and then one day in our culmination. And yet, often, his people definitely the world, but his people miss that great truth of him being with us every step of the way. And so we don't want to miss it this season. Now, as we get into the story, I want to be very clear. This book, which captures the grand story, is first and foremost about God. It is doxological. It is designed to bring him praise. This world is designed to bring God praise. You and I are designed to bring God praise. This story is ultimately about him. And yet in his sovereignty and in his wisdom, he has written you and I into the pages. And so we want to stop and look into those pages and begin to unpack the story about God, about this world, and about his love for mankind, his love for you and me. And so my prayer, our prayer for this season, is that we would rest in the truth of Emmanuel, rest in the truth of him wanting to be with us. This is not a story that demands performance on our part. This is a story where provision has been made for us to be with him. And now this is also a story that is easy for men and women to miss. 
if we've been doing it in some form or fashion since our existence. We've missed out on this story. And so I want us to tune our hearts to listen closely to eternal truths of Emmanuel being with us every step of the way. And even as we kind of move through the series, we're going to keep talking about how we can rest during this season. How can we rest in this story between what has happened and what will happen? And that'll be one of the great things. So let me stop and pray for both this morning and for the rest of our Christmas season. Lord, thank you for grace appearing. Thank you for your son, Jesus And that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, that he left heaven on high to come and do a mighty work on our behalf here because you want to be with us. You want to be near us. It's a truth that begins on the first page of your book, Lord, and it's a truth that is there on the last page. And so help us see it, sink into it, and rest in it this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to begin in Genesis 1, in the beginning, better sheet as it is in the Hebrew. So turn with me to Genesis 1, and let's read the first four verses together. It says, in the beginning, God, by, by the way, underline God right there, because the name used right there is the name Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, We're learning who God is right here in this moment. The name Elohim is going to kind of uh, talk about God's sovereignty, his his awesomeness, his his almighty power. That's the name that's being used for God right here. So, Bereshit Elohim, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Summary statement. And the earth was without form and void. Another summary statement we'll come back to. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, the kind of the foundation for the Trinity being laid here. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And then God separated the light from the darkness. And then in verse five, it's gonna say, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, for you and me, a lot of times Westerners, we come to Genesis chapter 1, and we come to it only with an intellectual mind. We come to it kind of like looking for information, like, well, how old is the earth? What is the day? Is 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 this a period of time, or is this one day? We're not going to dig into that today. We sometimes come to Genesis 1 going, what about the dinosaurs? Are the dinosaurs in here? And we want to come to it for, for information. And I want to be really clear. There is really good information in Genesis 1 and 2. You're going to see marriage defined in Genesis 2. You're going to see gender declared very clearly, male and female in Genesis 1. But the, the, the Hebrew mind, the Easterner mind would have come to Genesis 1 to learn about who their God was. And so when I want us to do the exact same thing, I want us to come and approach this passage on going, who is God? Be, to be very clear, Genesis 1, we believe, I believe, this church believes is an accurate retelling of the creation of this world. No doubt about it. And yet there is a poetic side to Genesis 1 that is meant to engage the heart, to draw us near to this God and inform us of just who is this God that begins as Elohim. 
And so the next, uh, let's call it uh, 20 verses, God is going to kind of begin creating the days. The days are going to come and he's going to create things. And, and, and just kind of the general observation, you're going to see this, and God said, let there be, and then it's going to end with it was good and it was evening and morning. There's a rhythm, there's a poetic rhythm to all of this. And so on each day, you're going to see these kind of chunks that in the first three days, God forms light and dark and he separates them. God forms the water and sky and he separates them. God uh, forms the land and seas and he separates them. It's that summer reverse of the earth was without form and God's going to form it. He's going to fashion it. And then in the later verses of Genesis 1, we're going to see God begin to fill that which he's formed. Sun, moon, and stars begin to light up and show up in the darkness. Fish and birds fill the water and skies. And then we see on day six, animals and humans begin to come into the equation. And there's this great truth that we're going to keep coming back to throughout the series that is on display here that what God forms, he always desires to fill. We'll really highlight that when we get to redemption, but it is this idea that there's always a great purpose for that which God forms, and he desires to fill it, and he desires to fill it with good things that come from him. And it's this beautiful picture, it's this beautiful reminder that God is the filler of voids. And so I don't know about you, but we can hit this season, and for the believer, even for the non-believer, this is a great time to go, hey, what? voids do I have in my life? We all have them, thanks to the fall. More on that next week. But what are the voids that maybe God can use this Advent season to get my attention so that I can tell others about them, so that I can be aware of it, and that I can be conscious of, okay, God, I want to invite you in to begin to fill those with you God is the filler of voids. It's also a season, as many of us know, that we know others who have a deep void during this time, or maybe this season stirs up a reminder of past voids. And it's an opportunity for us to imitate our God and move towards people that we know have voids that need to be filled by the Lord So we've talked about this, again, move to verse 26, but there's been a pattern. And God said, Elohim said, let there be. It was good, and it was evening and morning. There is a rhythm. And then it says in verse 26, then. Things are shifting here. There's been a pattern, and the pattern is about to break because God's wanting to draw our attention to something. There's something that he's wanting us to direct our attention to. It says, then, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image. Before, it was this impersonal language of let there be, let there be. Now, we're gonna move into personal, intimate language that the God has towards you and me, mankind. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You can go do, we're not gonna read it, but even in Genesis 2, verse 4, underline Lord God. Underline that, and I want you to write Yahweh, Elohim. Again, Genesis is God introducing him to himself. When I created the world, I'm all powerful. When it came time to create you, I became personal and intimate, fashioning you 
specifically and uniquely. So when God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created us. We say a lot of times uh, when we talk about the gospel, which literally means good news, and the good news is that Christ has come. It's what we're celebrating during the season, that Christ has come to be the ransom for our sin. We call that the gospel. It's really, really good news. But oftentimes we say that the good news starts with bad news. And that bad news is very true and it's very bad that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us, because of that, have earned death for that behavior. And that's a lot of times kind of where we say, that's a lot of times where our say, but the gospel actually begins before the bad news. And it begins with some really, really, really very good news. And that good news is is that we have been created in the image of, of God. We have been created to resemble God. It is a mago day, which means a lot. But it means that we've resembled God, not in his physical likeness, but in his ability to create, in his ability to be in relationship with other people. God has hardwired that into us like himself. We have the ability to invent and work and enjoy things. We have this ability to admire beauty. We also have this ability to recoil from that which is not. God has made us in this way. Yes, today, human beings are fallen, sinful creatures. Yes, that's true. But we, in the very, very beginning, were made in the image of God, untainted, perfect in our original conception. And that, my friends, is really, really good news because that means you are valuable. You've been made in the image of God. And so the good news, which has some bad news before, begins with some really, really, really good news, so much so that God would call it at the end of it. He would break the pattern in good and say, now that man is here, this is very good. Can you just rest in that for a second? that in your original design, we were perfect. And even still today, we have been made to resemble God. And there's things true of God that are true of us still today. What a beautiful picture. Verse 28, God is gonna give us, of Genesis one, he's gonna give us our missio day. He's gonna give us our mission. It says, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That's what, if we resemble God, what does God do? That which he forms, he loves to fill. What are we called to do? Fill this earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant. I've given you every tree with seed. And to every beast of the earth, verse 30, to every bird of the heavens, everything that creeps on this earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and as we had said, and said, behold, it was very good. Now, just like the Easterner would come to this text going, I want to learn about who my God is, there was a specific moment in time that that this text was introduced to God's people. We believe that it was Moses that was capturing the creation story for his people. 
And we believe it to be kind of in the moment where they're leaving Egypt. They're becoming a nation that God, that Moses is going to log for them just who their God is and what their creation story was. What was their beginning? What was their better sheet? And if you are the Israelites in this moment, just put yourself in their shoes. We've talked about them some in the book of Hebrews. They have been in Egypt for 430 years. And their whole value by the end of their time was wrapped up in one thing. What can you do for Egypt and Pharaoh? How many bricks can you make for us? And if you failed or if you've grumbled and if you've rebelled, then the quota went up and I want more bricks right now each and every day. And so as they leave, and by the way, they're in Egypt and they're surrounded by what some would say maybe is 1,400 different gods and goddesses. These are fake gods, unreal, made by human hands. But they're probably going, who is our God? Who's Elohim? Who's Yahweh? What is our God like? The only thing we might be familiar with is some of these other things where we've, we've had it tainted by Egypt. And so this refrain that ends verse 31, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day would have been incredible news for this Hebrew nation. They would have realized that their God wasn't after their performance. God wasn't coming to them going, I want you to make me bricks, make me bricks. In fact, the first thing I want you to do each and every day, the Jewish day always begins at night. The first act of faith I, Elohim, I, Yahweh, want for my people. So I just want you to rest and trust in my provision. You don't have to perform for me. I'm not after your bricks. I want you to begin from understanding a place of my heart for you, which is you are my crowning achievement of creation. You're that which is very good. And it's this beautiful moment where God's basically saying, I want you, I don't want your performance. I want you to rest in my love for you. And even on day six, and maybe I'm reading into it here, but on day six, they get their mission. The mission of God is announced. And the first day after it, we read in Genesis two is a day of rest. On the seventh day of two, two, it says, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. Even when the mission has been announced, here is our job, human race, the first place, the first thing to do is rest. Find your peace in me, and from that place, let's then get to work. God was not after the performance of his Hebrew people, and God is not after your performance. I think in some ways, we're much like those Israelites in the wilderness. We've maybe not gotten confused by the 1,400 different gods and goddesses of of Egypt, but I bet if we added up all the different idols in this room, we might get pretty close to 1,400, if not well exceeded. And in a lot of ways, we can just be in this empire thinking, oh my gosh, I got to do things. I got to make bricks. I got to do things. And even we kind of approach this mindset with God and in our lives, there's any number of things. I've got to make this brick. I've got to climb the corporate ladder. I've got to make this brick. I've got to add money to the bank account. I've got to make this brick. I've got to create well-behaved children. I've got to make this brick. I've got to make this brick. Even how we approach God in our time, even ministry starts to become a brick at times to just go, God, are you pleased with me? Have I done enough? Is the quota been matched? And God's like, I'm not after your performance. I want you to rest in my heart towards you. I want you to rest 
in my love for you, you don't have to perform for me. As I was kind of, I had an opportunity a couple weeks ago to kind of get away and really begin to kind of hone in on this series, which has been brewing in many of us for, for several months now. But uh, the, one of the first things I did when I got away from this series, and this sounds, it sounds like a confession, and maybe it is a confession, but I got away, kind of got outside of town a little bit, and I just took a nap for 45 minutes. Like, is anyone mad at me? Like, I mean, my mind is like, man, I, I, I'm carving out all this time. I got to go be productive. I got to crank out content. I got to pr- make a brick here. And it's just like the Lord was like, hey, I want to do this with you. And so will you just stop the first act of faith for this series? Can we just rest? Will you just rest? And then even after I got up, and again, it feels like, oh my gosh, did I just cheat the system or something? The next thing I did, I just spent time in prayer. Resting in the Lord, going, hey, I, let's do this together. In fact, if, if you don't go this with me, this, if you don't go with us, this won't be of any benefit to anyone. So it was this great picture. The creation account continues in Genesis 2. We won't hit on that today. Might pick up some of it tomorrow, but I do want to take us to John 1 because uh, this is not the only place where the beginning is mentioned and referred to. And specifically, I want to go to John 1 because I want to see just where Jesus is in this story, where Jesus is in this meta-narrative. And so John 1, verse 1, we've already read it this morning when we lit the candle, but now as we read it, let me replace uh, the word with the name Jesus. I think there's power in it. And so I'm going to read this in a couple of other passages, and I'm going to insert Jesus's name. John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. There's that word with, there's, there's a withness about God. I don't know if that is a word, but there's a withness about God. And the word was God. Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. Paul picks up this idea from John in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, that says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the not created, but the utmost, the foremost of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created. So Genesis 1 has Jesus all over those pages. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem was not his first appearance in this world. He's been forming it and fashioning it so he could fill it ever since the very beginning. And so what do we do with it? I love it. As we kind of keep bouncing around scripture, I want to do it for a purpose. In Matthew 2, verse 11, I think there's something instructive. When the wise men get to Jesus, when I, and whether they knew everything that was happening, I'm not fully sure, but this much I know, they, picked, they knew something was unfolding before their very eyes. And the first thing they did, I think, is really instructive. It says uh, that, uh, and going into the house, so they're drawing near They saw the child, they saw Jesus with Mary, his mother, and here's what they did first. They fell down and worshiped him. It's like in that moment, they're gonna rest in who this is. I'm gonna just stop 
and marvel at what God has done and that this is very God, a very God right before us. The only thing that we should do, the right appropriate response is to stop and worship. And then it says, then they opened their treasures. Then they presented their bricks, their gifts, their gold, their frankincense. This very God of very God is after your trust. He's after your worship. He wants you to be with him because he is with you. And yes, when you start in that place of resting in that place and then moving forward, yet then you will be one that fulfills Missio Dei, which is filling this earth with the things that he is after. And you will do great things for him when you begin to start in that place. And so that's the creation story in a nutshell. I mean, there is so much there. And I know we didn't get to the dinosaurs. I apologize for that. But do you know that there's a pre-creation story as well? And I want to look at it because it almost sounds blasphemous at times, and it would be unless it wasn't recorded in this book for us. And we see it in Ephesians 1, verse 3. We see kind of a, a pre-creation story. Now, the Easterners, they were going, hey, what, would, what was our beginning like? That's also our beginning. But if you're wanting to know if you are on the pages of this book, you are. In Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in Jesus, what? Before the foundation of the world, before Jesus even spoke an Adam into existence, before he began to fashion this world, you were on his mind. He was adopting you. He was electing you, believer. He was predestinating you. He was foreordaining that we should be holy and blameless before Jesus. In love, Jesus predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is all doxological, all designed to bring Christ praise with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, and insight. Before the foundation of the earth, you've been on God's mind. Never a moment. Never a moment God hasn't been thinking about you, pursuing you, choosing you, lavishing grace and the riches of it upon you. You show up in the pre-creation story. David writes about something similar in Psalm 139. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my, one, in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was made and secretly, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Rest in that for a second. From long ago, Jesus was with you, knitting you, intricately weaving you 
together in the unique way that you would resemble him, that the unique way you would be a Mago Day. Your giftedness, your personality, your wirings, maybe even your quirkiness. You were not flawed in the original design, and you are no accident. You were created by Emmanuel from the very beginning. And so I don't know what you think about when you think about God. I know in a room like this, there's a lot of different competing pictures about who God is. Is he Elohim? Is he Yahweh? Is he Emmanuel? Or is he something else? Is he this God that I need to appease? Yeah, how, do I, how do I appease him? And so, so we kind of have one of two defaults. If, if we're not operating in a right mind, if we're not trusting, if we're not resting in his grace, we operate in two things. We try to bring bricks to him and appease him going, is this enough, God? Is this works? Does this bring me back into right relationship with you? Or the other default is there's no way. So why even try? Either way, we kind of have this picture of a God that's disappointed in us or frustrated with us. So I don't know what your default is when you think about God, but I want to tell you what God thinks about you. The day God dreamed you up, he was having a really, really good day. He said so in Genesis 1. The day he knit you together, the day Christ was weaving you together in the unique way that you would resemble him, I believe there was a smile on his face and it was a really, really, really good day. So just rest in that for a second and fight off the thought of, but, but what about all the days since then where I've blown it, I've messed it up, Verse 16 of Psalm 139, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. There's that form again. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. All your days are known by God. The good ones and the not so good ones. Your good days don't confirm his decision to choose you if you are his and your bad days don't undo his choice of you from long ago either. You've been intimately and uniquely made by a relational God. And the creator wants to have a relationship with the creation. And he doesn't want us to miss that. So much so that in every page of this book, he is screaming out, I am an Emmanuel. I am a relational God. I am a God that wants to be with my people. And so we'll get into it next week. That's why sin becomes so offensive. It gets in the way of us being in relationship with him. We'll get to that. But for a moment, I just want to stop and remind ourselves, he is well acquainted with all of your days, your past, present, and future days, and he still delights in you, believer. And if you're in the room and you're like, well, I'm not a believer, that's where the gospel comes in. Christ has come to ransom even for your sin, and you can be one of the adopted don't miss out on that this Advent season. He who has formed your days, will you let him fill it with the good things that he desires for you? Let me close with this. And um, I, I, I just want to close with a little bit of application. And so we kinda, how can we prepare our hearts well for this season and, 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 and this, is, this is always tricky because we've talked about this is not a message about performance, right? 
This is a message that begins in resting who God is, and then from that place, let's move forward in ways that are appropriate of our God. And so, not surprisingly, spend time with Emmanuel this Christmas. Remind yourself, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has come to be with us so that we could be with him, so that we could draw near to him. And so, dwell richly in his word and linger in it. And we have a Bible reading app for this series that's going to walk you through the meta narrative, through sin, and, or through uh, creation, and through the fall, and through redemption and culmination. Join us in that. Or if you're having a ball wherever you are, keep getting after it. But let me give you a little just thing to look for. Wherever you are in God's word, go look for Emmanuel on whatever page you're on. The witness of God is all over this book no matter which movement you're in. And so don't miss that. Look for it, circle it, mull over those passages and marvel at them. Two, pull out those calendars if you haven't already. And if I had to guess, if your calendars are like mine, there's not a lot of open slots left, but the open slots that are left, book them now for you and time with Jesus. And do your best not to fill them, but to keep them as is. Maybe, careful here, maybe there's a commitment or two that maybe you can go and ask out of. I don't know. When I mentioned this to the staff, a lot of people thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Meg wanted to be clear, Christmas coffee's not on the table, ladies. But the goal of this series, and and that's why Christmas coffee is a great thing. The goal of this series is not to isolate ourselves and be hermits so that we can only do this. No, the goal of our series is to rest in who God is so that then we can move towards different voids that we see. Christmas coffee is actually a great way to do that. Rest in great truths of God, and then from that place, move out. And so that's the third thing I want you. I want you to be a filler of voids this Christmas Eve, this Christmas season. Resemble your God in that way. Go looking for, for you, for some of us, for actually all of us, we need to take this opportunity, this break from the normal rhythm of life and begin to look at our own lives and go, hey, how have I done this year? Where have I missed it? Where is there a void that I've tried to fill with something that's not of God? And how can I acknowledge that and begin to let it be replaced with things that are of of God? And then you and I know We're going to have a lot of opportunities with friends and family this Christmas. Opportunities. Some of us know, oh my gosh, Uncle Joe, I don't know. I don't want to be around that guy, that friend, that family. Look, that person was intricately woven by Emmanuel, by Jesus. And if there's a void in his heart, what do you think God wants to do? He wants to fill that with him. How does he often do that? Christ in you, drawing near to other people and being a way that you can begin to enter in and help fill their void through the power of Christ. These are all the different things you can do. In order to do that, prepare your heart ahead of gatherings. Asking yourself, how can I be on missio day? How can I be on mission with God wherever he places me this season? I do hope you fill your time this Christmas. I really do. I think this is a rich time. You can be busy and really present with the Lord. And sometimes you can be not busy and completely absent from him. So this isn't just about, is your calendar clear? 
but we have a really great opportunity to stop, prepare our hearts. We are entering an incredible season that is the, that is the icing on top. It is this moment of pinnacle truth on display, Emmanuel, but it's all over this book, and it's all over God's heart for us as he wants to be with us, always has been. And I don't want us to miss that. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.